0: Okay, turn to Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35 for our first sermon considering Christmas. We want to consider Christmas this season, right? We want to consider Advent. Because our world and our culture has done a great job of sanitizing it, and making it cozy and comfy and warm and fuzzy and all of those really good, lovely things that kind of lull us to sleep by a nice, warm hearth. Just the word hearth makes me want to put a blanket on. So, um, but you know, Christmas is a little bit more gritty than that, according to the Bible. And that's what's so comforting about it. So let's read Isaiah 35, verses 1 through 10. And let me give you some thoughts to consider this week of Advent. The point of this is to con- take notes, you guys, and talk about this stuff throughout the week with your friends, with your family. Don't make this a one, uh, uh, an only a Sunday thing, but take this with you to meditate on as a church, Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. Let's meditate on this as a church As we see the lights, as we hear the music, as we do the things, let's keep these things in mind as we're going through this season. So Isaiah 35, 1 through 10. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will, give it, will, will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Oh boy, do we need that or what? Oh, I'm feeling it this season, you guys. I, this is the cry of my heart. Strengthen my feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. gosh. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. And then will the eyes of the blind be opened. And the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. It will be for those who walk on that way. The unclean will not journey on it. Wicked fools will not go about on it. No lions will be there, nor any, beast, any ravenous beasts. They will not be found there. But only the redeemed will walk there. And those the Lord has rescued will return they will enter Zion with singing, everlasting joy with crowns on their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them and sorrow and sighing will flee away. Lord, may it be so. God, may it be so. This ancient prophecy still reverberates in me like a pitchfork it makes me vibrate it makes me hum my being comes alive And i say yes yes in this dark and weary land in this straining hard time yes come would you lead us through this and use me in jesus name amen When you read this, uh, it might surprise you that this scripture is one of the famous Christmas texts. It might be surprising for you. It was certainly for me. We all know the famous ones in Isaiah. Isaiah's got a handful of famous Christmassy texts. You know, there's Isaiah 7, where it says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and you'll call his name Emmanuel. God is with us. That's links to Matthew. You'll call him Emmanuel or he will be called Emmanuel. Or there's Isaiah 9 verse 6. For unto us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. But scholars Uh, surprisingly, throw this one in there too. Throw Isaiah chapter 35 in there as well. And it's surprising because this prophecy is about the future messianic kingdom brought by a future messianic king who will put everything wrong right. Gosh, we should, I mean, don't you leap for that. He will put everything wrong right to the Christian This is talking clearly about the second advent of Jesus Christ, where he comes again, obviously. And the second advent is the real hope of us all. It's what you need, it's what you're longing for, it's what you want, it's what you're striving for, it's what makes your spirit come alive. All wars will cease. No more of this nonsense in Russia and Ukraine and Yemen and all of, in Saudi Arabia and Sudan and all of these wars going on, these innocent people caught in the middle of it, there will be no more disease. Think of a world like this. Think of a world where from a sniffle to a a life-threatening disease, none, gone, not even a thought. Can you imagine the headlines, in the new newspapers. Well, it's been 10 years since anyone has ever gotten sick. Can you imagine that? We have no recorded illness for the last decade. Merry Christmas. No more uh, spiritual disease, no more addictions or vices. You know, the stuff that you just, you repent of and repent of and repent of and repent of, and yet you still find yourself pulled in that way? Yeah, you know, you gotta take yourself wherever you go these days. Imagine a world where you're comfortable in your own skin. Where your beliefs and your convictions match your behaviors. There'll be no more abuse. Imagine, imagine. Being able to enter quickly into relationship. You wanna know why? Because there's no fear. Fear. There's no thought that this person might hurt me or take advantage of me or manipulate me or want something from me or have an angle on me. No more abuse. Imagine how uh, easy it will be to enter into community. Death itself will die. (laughs) Imagine that been 10 years since anyone's died this marks another day where no one's died death is just a memory injustice will be squashed will be dealt with fairly rightly everything will be seen for exactly the way it is no more blurry lines no more confusion The judge, the king of kings, will see it all just the way it is and reveal it just the way it is and he'll know exactly what to do about it. No more exploitation of the weak and impoverished. Imagine driving down Aurora and not seeing any slavery. Relationships will be mended and restored. Imagine seeing that person at this side of heaven. You think, man, maybe this will never be fixed. This animosity, this resentment, this unforgiveness. The imagine seeing that person there, and have an embrace, forgiven, forgiven, restoration, reconciliation. That's what our text is talking about. That's the world that our text is promising will come to this planet. That is the hope of every Christian. When we read the paper and we see the latest tragedy, Christians say, not forever. There will be an end to this. And you only have to be human to want this. You don't have to be religious. You only have to be human to want this. It's in every single human heart, wants a life. In a world that this text and others is describing. This is the song we love about every song. This is the story that we love about all the iconic stories. This is it. From Harry Potter to Lord of the Rings to all of our favorites to Lamez. all of it. There's this hope for restoration in a better world where every tear will be wiped away. Marcus Mumford of the Mumford and Sons wrote this beautiful song that, it, or he envisions the future. He says, we will run and scream. You will dance with me. We'll, fi- we'll fulfill our dreams and we'll be free. And we will be who we are and he'll heal our scars and sadness will be far away. Or let's just get Christmassy. No more lives torn apart. No more wars would ever start. That time would heal all hearts. Every man would have a friend. Right will always win and love will never end. This is my grown-up Christmas wish. That's what we all want. So I'm going to talk through this text with you and explain what the text itself is saying. And I'm hoping your imaginations will be fired up because that's what it was meant to do. Isaiah did not write this to be an intellectual exercise necessarily. He meant to engage your imagination and engage the the ancient longings of your heart that go through every human heart. So I'm inviting you to do that. Then I'm gonna tell you what in the world this has to do with Christmas anyway. (laughs) I'm gonna hopefully make that connection and then we'll explore what it means for us as we go through this Christmas season. Sound like a plan? Okay. First, let me show you some of the main features of this text. First, look at verses one and two. The desert and the parched land will be glad. Notice, notice the, um, the contrast. He's showing you one thing and then the opposite. The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness, that's a place where no one can inhabit. You have to, in the wilderness, you have to keep moving right you move through a wilderness you don't stay there to live that's when you start dying so the wilderness but will rejoice and blossom the glory of lebanon will be given to it the splendor of carmel and sharon they will see the glory of the lord so this is talking as i said already about a future time obviously i mean you just read the paper today and you'll know this must be speaking about something in the future where the glory and the presence of god himself will be on this earth. That's what makes these things happen. That's what's making the desert bloom. Um, it, it's, the, it's what Lewis was getting at in The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe when Aslan comes back and winter begins to thaw. The reason winter is thawing is because Aslan's presence, he's back, he has come. That's the idea. The glory and presence of God himself will be on the earth and that will make the earth Eden-like again. Mm like back to this incredible lush garden again, it will be so powerful and potent that the natural order of the cosmos will be altered and actually renewed by his presence. When it's saying the desert, parched land, wilderness will be renewed and blossomed, it's saying that there won't be places like deserts anymore. The images, for example, of Lebanon, Carmel and Sharon were all images of great fertility. Back in those days, if you would have heard one of those names, you would have known exactly. You would have thought of being prosperous, fertility, physical beauty. You would have thought of words like flourishing, easy living. He's saying that when the glory of the Lord shows up, everything, everywhere will be like that. Seattle. Seattle will be like that. California, Russia, Israel, the whole world, there won't be just pockets of it. The whole world will respond in renewal to God. The soil will be fertile. The landscape everywhere will be beautiful. You'll have a renewed, perfect world operating exactly the way it was designed to operate. Imagine that. So here we're talking about a renewed, perfect home. A world that's Eden-esque. And this is what every human being is hoping for. That's what all of us want this morning. I know you feel it in your heart. I know you do. This is how everyone intrinsically knows it ought to be. This is what the human race strives for. We're hoping for a safe, flourishing, healthy Home, a place to live. And then it tells us just how that's going to happen. Look at verse 4. He says, Be strong and do not fear. There's so much of this that remi- the Bible folds in on itself so much. I'm thinking of Joshua chapter 1. He says to Joshua, Be strong and courageous. Why? Because I am with you. It's, it's an echo of that. Same thing. Be strong and do not fear. Why? Because your God will come. That's why. He doesn't just say, don't be afraid, like in the movies. The hero says, don't be afraid. the Bible says, here's why. Because God will come. Don't just hang in there. Hang in there because this will have an ending. God is coming. He will come with a vengeance, with divine retribution. Some scary words. And he will come and he will save you. This is saying that the reason all of this is going to happen is because God himself is coming to the earth to defeat evil once and for all. There should be a hoot, a holler. You're supposed to be way more excited right now. <laughs> the great judge of all the earth will come and make, it, make all the wrongs right. Amen. amen, thank you, yes, amen. Now, God is here right now in a sense that he's omnipresent, we know that but you, will, you can still miss him. In fact, that's one of the, the, that's one of the um, great pitfalls of the holiday season in the West. Uh, you can still overlook him, and it's so beautiful here. It's so festive here. It's so nostalgic here. It's so filled with what to do and all of the things. It's so commercialized that we can actually miss the deeper meaning. I mean, I've done this. I, I'm sure you all have. You've zipped through a Christmas So fast, and then on the other side of it, you're looking in the rearview mirror and you go, oh my gosh, I didn't think about Jesus much at all because I was just so busy doing things. Christmas invites us to slow down and think about this. This is talking about a day when God will be, think of this, think of a day where God will be visibly here. Think of that. You can go see him. The way you can go to the Tetons, or the way you can go to Disneyland, or the way you can go to Yosemite, or whatever you want to go, you can go see God. Think of that. Think of that. The beauty, like a river that's giving life to the earth, God's presence will be here. Every fiber of your soul and being will be absolutely captivated and drawn to him like a magnet. You'll be literally feeling new life course through you just because he's here. And when he's here, all evil, all corruption, all injustice will be purged from the earth utterly and permanently and also from you and your mind. Imagine having your innocence again. Noble woke up the other morning, because like, so N- Nicole's in Colorado visiting a girlfriend there and having a great time. And so that means it's boys' club. And I had to take Noble to Portland. So I wake him up in the morning, and this is what happens. He rolls over and he goes, Dad, would you like to live in a gingerbread house? And I thought, oh, to have your mind. He goes, yeah, would you eat it? I think you'd have to patch it up with more frosting, which wouldn't be so bad. And then all the way to school, he continues talking about this gingerbread house. Imagine your mind being innocent again, renewed, delighting in your imagination, roaming the cosmos with just how you want to think and delight. And Imagine the songs that would come out of you. Imagine the things you would write. Imagine the ways your, creati- your, your creativity would come out to society. <laughs> and then in verse five, and look what else will happen in verse five. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. What does that remind you of? That's Jesus' MO right there. That's, that's Jesus, so that's his style. The, the eyes of the blind will be open. The ears of the deaf will be unstopped. The lame will leap like a deer. Think of the guy at the pool of Bethesda. Jesus pulled him up. The mute tongue will shout for joy. There won't be any blindness anymore. No, there won't be deafness, disease, or aging. There won't be death. right, Siri. <laughs> there won't be artificial intelligence interrupting. No, I'm just kidding. And finally, look at the end of the passage. Look who will be there. Um, but only the redeemed will walk there. Only the redeemed will walk there, and those the Lord has rescued will return. That word return sums it all up. It signals a major, major theological uh, theme in the Bible, return. The major theme is the idea throughout the entire Bible of coming home, returning home. It's a longing for a better world and existence. It's the idea that this world as it currently operates is not the way it ought to be. There's gotta be more than this. And the Bible would say it's because we're all aching to come home. We all want to come home. That is not only the theme of this text, but the theme of every human heart. We're we're all trying to get home. That's what we're longing for. That's what we're hoping for. You can hear it on the radio when we're debating our laws of how to make the city a better place. When we're talking about... When we're debating universal health care or climate change or whatever it is we're fighting about, you can read it in all of our best selling books and films. You can hear it in the songs that we're listening to even right now. Um, You know, uh, I'll be home for Christmas. There's no place like home for the holidays. You can count on me. Please have snow and mistletoe. What does that mean? Intimacy, love, acceptance. I want embraces. And presence by the tree. You know, um, that's what we were experiencing at our Serbian restaurant on Friday at the Two Brothers in Portland. I want to plug them because they're great. We were home with each other. We sat back. We had a good meal. We're looking at each other's eyes. They're telling stories and anecdotes. We're laughing. That's a little taste of what we do here after church. We're together. We're enjoying one another we're bearing with one another. We're drawing close to one another. What are we doing? We're, being, we're coming home. We're coming home. What does it mean to be home? Everyone knows that it takes a lot more than a roof and four walls to make a place home, right? That's obviously. When you move into a new house, it takes quite a while to make it your home. Um, you might have a bed. You might have warmth, but it takes more than that. Home is where everything works for you. Uh, Home is where everything fits who you are. Home is where everything suits you. It's where you want to be. It's the place where your soul can finally go. (sighs) Right? I think Vero was messing with that in her analogy uh, to start the service. Being inside a home that's warm and safe and looking at the chaos outside and that feeling of I'm safe, I'm safe and tucked away. I'm safe and tucked away. Let the world do what it's gonna do. I'm here, I'm home. When Nicole and Noble and I moved into our house, when we first got the keys for a few weeks, it still smelled like the people that were there before. It took a while. There were still remnants of them. It smelled like them, and in many ways, it was still their house. I could, I, you know, people have a distinct smell. It's not bad or anything, it's just not yours. And that's what the house smelled like. So we deep cleaned, we brought in our furniture, we added some new flooring, we put in different lights, we customized the garage to hold all of our stuff. We did all, you know, and eventually, little by little, it began to be more like us. It began to smell more like us, for good or for bad. And it it began to accommodate us, it became ours. It became our home. This is why the real estate market is always going to be cooking. Because in the human heart, there's an ancient cry for home. Um, there's another beautiful song, a beautiful uh, poem of this, uh, this man named Ryan O'Neill, who was moving into a house with his family, and he wrote this poem. He said, We will call this place our home. This is the dirt in which our roots may grow. Though the storms will push and pull, we will call this place our home. We'll tell stories on these walls. Every year, measure how tall. And just like a work of art, we'll tell our stories on these walls. And then he prays a a poetic blessing. He says, so let the years we're here be kind, be kind. Let our hearts like doors open wide, open wide. Settle our bones like wood over time, over time. Give us bread, give us salt, give us wine. Oh, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Home is a harbor. Home is a place of safety and rest. Home is a place that doesn't drain you but restores you. Home nourishes you. It strengthens you. It strengthens you because it can hold all of who you are. And the people there can hold all of who you are. A homeland is a place where you don't have to struggle to understand the language of a people or the customs. The landscape delights you. The food and the customs Are you, or who you've become to be? And this is consistent with the entire corpus of Scripture. You can trace it throughout. And maybe this will be some of your plans for your your dinner festivities, to make it, to pray these prayers. Whoever's coming over, may this be their home. Give us bread, give us salt, give us wine. May people's roots grow. May their hearts like doors open this Christmas day, whoever you have over for your family. This is all throughout Scripture. Abraham is told to leave and search for a city whose builder is God himself. It's very Isaiah-esque terms. Later, when Israel is set free from economic, political slavery in Egypt, they set off to find what? They go through the desert to find a homeland. A place that will be theirs, that God will give to them, where they can put their roots down and where God will be. At another point, Israel is, because of their their sin, they're exiled to Babylon and then brought back to their homeland. But even when they come back to their homeland, they're under Roman occupation in the time of Jesus. And even though Jews live geographically in, in their homeland... There was a lot of talk about still being in exile. We can still find it in all the, the uh, post-temple documents, even extra-biblical documents. There's a lot of exile talk, even though they're still there in their homeland. They were enslaved in their, land, in their own land, and therefore, because they were enslaved in their own land, it was no longer home. And when you stand back and you look at the whole Bible from first to last, you begin to realize that the story of Israel is actually a small version of the story of our hearts, of the whole human race. Let me show you. This is Genesis chapter two, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. The word put in that sentence in Genesis chapter two is the Hebrew word that means to settle in. It's more than just saying he put something there. He settled, God settled man in the garden. In other words, it was suited for him. It was his perfect home. It was a place of perfect rest and a work that was to be done, not for survival, but out of enjoyment and pure pleasure. But when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, they lost their home. They were exiled from paradise. And we you know, guys, as a human race, we've been trying to get home ever since. And at the end of the Bible, in the book of Revelation, we see God recreating this Eden-like place worldwide. In Revelation, Isaiah 35 is finally realized. We see this garden-like city of God coming down from heaven and renewing the world. And this is why the plight, by the way, the plight of our friends that live right over on the other side of that wall. The people that are literally homeless in this city should move every Christian down to the core because this is our story. This is our story to literally be homeless. Think of that. To literally be, to literally be sleeping in tents, under trees, on park benches, in cars. It's destructive. It breaks you down it wears on you physically it's bad for you emotionally and mentally and it should catch every christian right in the feels because to be a Christ, to, to a christian the homelessness in seattle is a story that points to the ultimate story the human race is homeless the homeless person's problem points to everyone's problem in a sense spiritually here's what the bible says about the human race Every human being is actually spiritually homeless. We've lost Eden. We are all living in a world that doesn't fit our deepest desires. We all feel homeless here, like kind of like wearing a pair of shoes that are too small. <laughs> it's crampy. Just hurts. It just doesn't fit. There's a dissatisfaction no matter if we have rags or riches. Doesn't matter. There's a deep dissatisfaction. There's an itch that just can't quite be scratched. We live in a world that doesn't fit us. In an affluent place like Seattle, you just have to peel back the surface of the glitter of Christmas time to see the hurt and pain right underneath. Why? Let me read Psalm 90 to you. It says, Lord, you have, you, you, listen to this. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. So here, isn't that interesting? Here, the metaphor goes from a place to a person. The Bible says that God is the home that we were actually all made for. He's the home that we're longing for. It means that we were built to find all of our hope, all of our comfort, our restoration, and our rest in God. All the things we're looking for in our homes, we were meant to find it in God. We were built to be so delighted in him that we serve him just for the joy of doing it, just because we love him. That's what we're built for. That's what we're. That's what we're doing. Anything else, uh, or when we're doing anything else, it doesn't really fit us. Anything other than God is turning something that is not your home into your home, and it can't bear up the weight of your soul. That's the reality. Anything other than God is turning something that is not your home into your home and it cannot bear up the weight of your soul. That other person cannot bear up the weight of your soul. Your career cannot bear up the full weight of your soul. Let uh, Let me get another angle in at this. Uh, the book of Genesis tells us that in our primeval origins, human beings were made for paradise. We're made for like a Garden of Eden type of a place. But because we decided that we were not, that we, or that we were gonna be our own masters, that we were gonna call the shots ourselves, we lost home. And now when, now think of this, when you violate a relationship, what, what's the ultimate thing that happens? You're expelled from that relationship eventually, right? If you violate a relationship by betraying someone or abusing someone or using them for your own ends or whatever happens, eventually you'll be expelled from that relationship, you've lost your place. That's the idea, that's, what, that's the idea of prison, criminals. We take them out of society and expel them to a place where they're not allowed anymore. They've proven themselves untrustworthy. So because we've turned from him, we've been expelled. That's the, that's the plot of the scripture. We've been expelled from our relationship with God, and now the whole world is out of whack. We're tweaked. Winter is here. Our broken relationship with God affects everything. We were not built for a world in which there's death. Did you know that? We weren't built for it. People that say, oh, death is a friend. The Bible says, no, death is the enemy. And we all know that. The Bible will say what your heart intrinsically knows. We were not built for a world in which there is decay and aging and disease and blindness and lameness and deafness. All the things that this passage names. And as C.S. Lewis so famously said, if you find yourself dare, uh, desiring something that this world doesn't have, what else could it, could it mean except that you were made for another world? In other words, we know death is not our friend. Why? Because we long to live. We long to live. We live in a world that doesn't fit our, our, fulfill our deepest needs. Therefore, we are in exile every last time one of us we're in exile internally and externally but all the passages including this one of the old testament they're like buzzing and rustling oh the old testament with the hope that the messiah will come and bring us home The New Testament says that Jesus is that Messiah and that he's coming twice. And the first time he came, he began to heal our homelessness. But when he comes back a second time, which is what our text is describing, he will make the whole world home again. He'll make the whole world home again. You say, how? How will he do that? And this is my second point, Christmas, Christmas, Mike, what in the world does this passage about a future messianic kingdom have to do with Christmas? Everything. Absolutely everything. Because here's what we see in Christmas. Here's what we see in Christmas. Think about the Christmas story. We see homelessness in the Christmas story, we see exile in in the Christmas story, we see brutality in the Christmas story, we see rejection. That's why, you know, it's hard to see this because we've sanitized this. So, you know, you just go to Bellevue and drive down their, their snowflake lane and feel warm and cozy and fuzzy with your latte and your scarf and see all the happiness and know in your soul Christ, the Christmas story was different. We've made it warm and cozy and nostalgic and fireplaces and eggnog and pretty lights and warm homes and cuddling and blankets and all that stuff. Well, you say, that's the commercialized, non-Christian way of sanitizing Christmas, but we Christians, we do a pretty good job. Do we, though? Think of this, you know, Away in the manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus, you know, squeezes little cheeks. Laid down his sweet head. Aw. The stars in the sky, they look down where he lay and the little Lord Jesus, oh, Sleep on the hay. Hay is soft. There's furry animals around Jesus. He sleeps there in peace to the song of, that animals make as they look so adoringly with all the stars. That's so nice, but that's not That's not, then read the Bible. Here's the real story. Jesus was born on the road. Think of that. Moms, think this through. Jesus was born on the road. They weren't home in Nazareth. They were on the road to Bethlehem because of a census, because of an oppressive regime. So that's one thing. But he wasn't even born in a house because there were no places to offer them, open to offer them. They could not, Offer a woman in labor a place where she could do so safely and peacefully. And in the, the nativity, we're reminded that they had to sleep in a stable, and more than no, Mary gave birth in a stable. The reality is, here's the Christmas story. It was dark. It was cold, it was terrible. It was scary, it was fearful, it was not sanitary. There were no professionals there with latex gloves and clean running water. There were no epidurals or medicine or or anyone trained there to help her. It was Mary and Joseph, dark, cold, alone. If this were the city, let let me make this urban. If this were an urban story, we're talking about a 14-year-old girl pregnant out of wedlock, abandoned to give birth with her kid behind a dumpster in an alley. That's the Christmas story. That's what we're here celebrating today. This 14-year-old girl gives birth amongst the urine and the manure of all the barn animals. Christmas says that God chose to enter this world through a woman's birth canal. Out of all the ways he could have entered, that's how he decided to come. Think of this. This is what we're celebrating. So we sanitize the nativity, but it's the most unsanitary thing possible. (laughs) I mean, it's just, it's very raw. Before little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay, there was blood, there was screaming, there was labor, there was sweat, there was fear. And don't forget the rejection. Mary was a 14-year-old pregnant unwed mother. Her village knew she was pregnant before she left. She would have been stigmatized for the rest of her life, and we know she was, and her child would have also been stigmatized for the rest of his life. And then she gets here and give birth, and they're out in the cold in the dark. The Christmas story, you guys, the Christmas story is supposed to break your heart. it seems out of control. It seems like one hit after another, this poor family. It's supposed to make you weep. It's supposed to make you feel it. The desperation of this family in the most dire straits possible. That's how God chose to come into this world. And it's a symbol of something. It's a symbol Christmas is a symbol of the hardness of this world. Do you understand that? Christmas is a symbol of the how bad this world can get. It's not disconnected from the suffering you're feeling right now. It's not disconnected from your pain, from your thought that no one's listening to you. That no one can hear you, that there may not be an answer. That you're desperate inside. That the pat answers don't work. That no one really understands you or gets you. Is this really going to get better? I really don't know. All those feelings that you feel, that is Christmas. It's a symbol of the hardness of the world. It's a symbol of the inhospitableness of the world and our deepest desires. But there's a reason Christmas is so brutal. And the reason Christmas is so brutal and messy is because that's also why he came. That's how the Messiah is going to bring us salvation. He's not afraid of your mess. I don't care how dark and dank and bad and alone and hopeless you feel, Christmas gives you hope. He is not afraid of our mess. See, Christmas was just the beginning. <laughs> It was just a foreshadow of the rest of his life. Remember what he said? Jesus, when he was an adult, he said, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to to, uh, rest his head. You know what he's saying? I'm homeless. I was born homeless. I'm living homeless. And at the end of his life, he's gonna die alone on a cross. What child is this who laid to rest who's laid to rest, on Mary's lap is sleeping. Nails, now go to the end of the song, Nails' spear shall pierce him through the cross he bore for me and for you. That's what happened up there. He didn't say on the cross, my God, my God, this really hurts. He didn't say that. He said, my God, my God, why have you left me alone Psalm 90, God has been our home, not for Jesus. He was homeless up there on the cross, even from his God. In the book of Leviticus, we're told that at Yom Kippur, which is the day in which all of Israel had to deal with their sin for the whole year, the Israelites used to lay hands on a goat and confess their sins. And the symbol was, this is Leviticus 16, they transferring their sins onto this animal, why? Well, because the, then, they, then they would send the animal out into the wilderness to die. That's what they would do. So they would, they would come together and they would, usually what they would do is they would grab the, the animal by the head and they would push their head against the animal's head. They'd hold it and they'd confess their sins. Idolatry, adultery, murder, lying. Unfaithfulness. Anger, rage, bad motives, just all of it, just a confession. And they would take this goat and they'd send it out alone, abandoned to die. Why? Because the penalty for sin is always expulsion, always. The penalty for, wrong, for wronging people for harming people, for putting yourself first, for betraying people, for exploiting pre- people. It's always getting kicked out of that community eventually. In other words, you lose relationship. And because we turned away from God, we've been turned out. We're homeless. But Jesus Christ came to earth and experienced homelessness at the very at the beginning, middle and at the end, especially on the cross, what was happening on the cross? Jesus was being expelled up there. He was in fact, he was crucified outside of the city. The, the scripture emphasizes that. He was crucified outside the, the gate. Why? Jesus is the scapegoat. He's getting the cosmic homelessness and penalty that we deserve the expulsion that we deserve so that we can come home he left the ultimate home in heaven and came into the darkness the coldness the hardness the sin of our lives and brought light he experienced absolute aloneness aloneness so that we can have the love of god and never lose it why Because God came to earth in order to satisfy his own justice. In order to take the punishment. How do you think you're going to survive what happens in verse 4? Did you, did you, were you, that was supposed to scare you. This would scare anybody. Look at verse 4. He will come. Like it's this beautiful future thing. But then he says, he will come with vengeance. That's supposed to give everyone pause. He will come with divine Retribution. In other words, when he comes, how will you not be destroyed? You know the thing with justice, the thing with it, is we all know it should be. We all long for justice. You know that? Sometimes the rage that comes on in you, the anger, is because something's not fair. We want justice. We all know that there needs to be a cosmic divine judge that knows right from wrong and that can make it all right. And without that, what hope is there for this world? Isaiah 35 cannot happen unless there's a judgment on evil but yet the thing with justice the real kicker about it is if there is a divine justice a divine judge how is he going to destroy the world without destroying you and me that's what we call a conundrum I want there to be made right, but wait, I need to be made right. How will he be able to end evil without ending us? Because he took the divine retribution on himself. He actually got punished for you, for all your evil and your pride, your looking down on others, our lust, our hatred our prejudice he took all that on himself so that we could come home so what's what difference does this make if this is what christmas is about how will it change us forever how can you meditate on this for the rest of 2022 and let it set you up for 2023 how does it change the way we live There was us before this sermon. What will we be like? What should we be like after this sermon? Well, number one, here's some practical implications. If Jesus Christ saved us by becoming weak, and he gave up his glory, and he gave up his right to stay in charge, then believe it or not, that's the only way for you and me to receive this kind of salvation. If he received it through giving up, through letting go that's how we receive it when we come up here in a few moments and do communion you know what that is it's you you are what you do in your heart before you come up is you have a posture of letting go can you do that what are the things that you need to let him have See, other religions basically say that you—that the way you, you're saved is you summons up all your strength within yourself and you try to live a really good, good life and then God will bless you. Just get real strong and moral and good and summons it all up to be a better person, read some books, get some accountability and try, 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 try and then God will bless you. Christmas actually says the opposite. Christmas is the exact opposite message. We could never rise up We can never summons up and rise up. God had to come down into the darkness, into the brutality. He had to come down and do what we could not do ourselves. We cannot save. our Christmas is not about saving ourselves. He comes down and becomes weak and is mistreated and is abused. And if you want to connect with that, then you basically have to do the same thing. It's called repenting. The Bible calls it, this is the Bible's uh, view of repentance. Repentance and faith is not pulling your life together and helping yourself so God will help you and save you. It's admitting how weak you are. It's admitting how weak you are. It's admitting you're spiritually bankrupt. It's admitting that you're homeless. That you've been expelled. And that's really hard. We don't like that. I'd rather sing some fluffy songs and decorate my tree than deal with that. That's some hard stuff to deal with. Basically, welcome to church. I'm telling you, hey, deal with Christmas by looking your, looking your darkest stuff square in the face and let yourself be in pain with it. Admit it. Number two, if Jesus was so concerned about spiritual, uh, about spiritual homeless people, That's us not to uh, you know he didn't just commute from heaven with some gift baskets that's not (laughs) that's not christmas but he was willing to move here to come among us to identify with us and go through what he was going to go through then christians should be the first responders to things like literal homelessness this is a shameless plug for tuesday nights You know what we're doing on tuesday nights we're incarnating ourselves into into their world we're looking them in the eye and we're saying what's it like being you hey tell me your story i want to know i want to know your story what's it feel like and at the most it's giving them something and going without yourself it's trading places justice in the bible is not fair It's giving at great cost to ourselves. It's giving up of our time, of our resources, of our energy to notice, to see people, to talk with them, to love them no matter what, without limit and without condition. In other words, I hope you get to tell our friends along with us on Tuesdays, whether you're here or not, I will always be. Maybe you won't come back on a Tuesday, but you can know I'll be here ready with a meal for you, no matter what, I'll be here. And finally, if there's anything more important to you than God, you have to understand, it's like choosing to become homeless. If there's anything more important to you than God today in this Christmas season, You're like choosing to be homeless. In the summertime, we do a lot of camping, and that's a lot of fun. But I don't know about you, by the time the summer is over, I'm always thinking to myself, camping is fun, but it's just no way to live. (laughs) It's not a permanent situation. I long for something more. My back longs for something more. See, there are a lot of great things in this world, but the moment you try to live in them, just like the wilderness supposed to be passing through. But the moment you try to say, I think I'll live like this, it's the moment you start to die. You're choosing to make your home in a box under a bridge. It's no way to live. It's destructive. The wilderness was never meant to bear the full weight of your existence. God is your home. So Christmas is a homecoming. When you come to the table today, you are saying, I'm coming home. This is, where I, this is where my identity is found. This is the only place that can bear up the whole weight of who I am. This is the only place that can bear up the whole weight of who I am. Therefore, when I leave this place, I'm expecting every place that I set foot to be both broken and beautiful. To remind me of heaven, but also remind me a little bit of hell. Every relationship that I'm in will be both broken and beautiful. This is, where, this is the place That can bear up the whole weight of who I am in God's presence. When you live on other things, you're like Cain, (laughs) always wandering but never home. Always winter but never Christmas. Christmas means that Jesus Christ became homeless so that he can take us home, and that's our hope. Think of home when you hear the songs this week. Put on Warm 106.9, and you'll listen to all the classics. And when you hear, I'll be home for Christmas, think of this. I am coming home to you right now, God. Right now. I'm coming home. You are my home. You can count on it.